Hello and welcome to episode 17. In today's episode, we will be discussing hypoglycemia in patients with diabetes. In terms of physiology, the body achieves euglycemia by regulating the secretion of insulin, glucagon, and other hormones. Typically, inhibition of endogenous insulin secretion is the initial defense against falling glucose levels and typically happen at a glucose level below 80 mg per deciliter. Once glucose level concentrations fall below the physiological range at a glycemic threshold of 70, there is a sequence of responses that results in a release of counter-regulatory or anti-insulin hormones, stimulation of the autonomic nervous system, which all serve to protect the brain and limits the systematic effects of hypoglycemia. So let's discuss what actually happens here. After suppression of endogenous insulin production, if glucose levels continue to decrease, the glucose-sensing neurons in the hypothalamus and other glucose-sensitive regions in the brain are affected first as they are most vulnerable to glucose deprivation. This results in stimulation of the autonomic nervous system, which results in release of both glucagon and pancreatic polypeptides from the pancreas, release of epinephrine from the adrenal medulla, release of norepinephrine from the sympathetic nerve terminals. These are all fast-acting hormones that result in increase in gluconeogenesis, hepatic glycogenolysis, and epinephrine further suppresses insulin production and increases lipolysis, resulting in release of free fatty acids that spare the use of glucose. As a delayed and more modest response, slower-acting hormones are also released over several hours, and these can include the cortisol from the adrenal cortex and the growth hormone from the anterior pituitary. Those are useful for prolonged hypoglycemic symptoms. Now, in terms of symptoms, initially, below a glucose level of 70, autonomic response results in neurogenic symptoms such as tremors, palpitations, sweating, dry mouth, hunger, and dilated pupils. If glucose levels continue to drop below 55, neuroglycopenic symptoms usually occur, such as altered mental status, ataxia, stupor, seizures, and coma. This happens as a result of glucose deprivation in the brain. It's unclear why some patients develop hypoglycemia and awareness, but its frequency can increase as patients are exposed to glucose levels below 70 repeatedly. It's important to note that different patients have different threshold at which they begin experiencing symptoms. So in order to standardize the terminology Regarding the severity of hypoglycemia, a 2018 consensus statement developed by eight different endocrine organizations, including the Endocrine Society, the ADA, ACE, they all defined three separate levels of hypoglycemia. Level 1 hypoglycemia was defined as a blood glucose above or equal 54 mg per deciliter and below 70 mg per deciliter. This level of hypoglycemia would alert patients that they may need to ingest carbohydrates because of the usual hyperadrenergic counter-regulatory responses. Level 2 hypoglycemia is a blood glucose below 54 mg per deciliter 
And this level of hypoglycemia is usually associated with neuroglycopenic symptoms, which increase the risk for cognitive dysfunction and mortality. And level 3 hypoglycemia is a severe event that is characterized by altered mental status or physical status that requires the assistance of another person. This level of hypoglycemia is life-threatening and requires emergent treatment, typically with glucagon. So what do the guidelines say about our approach to hypoglycemia in those with diabetes? Because of the importance of this topic and emerging therapies and treatment strategies, the Endocrine Society released its consensus clinical practice guidelines on management of individuals with diabetes at high risk for hypoglycemia in 2022. There were several major recommendations that we will go through today in no specific order. So for patients with a history of severe hypoglycemia, glucagon preparations that don't have to be reconstituted are favored over those that have to be reconstituted. What does that mean? Well, glucagon first became available in the 1960s. It was released as a powder in a vial that had to be first opened, then one milliliter of saline had to be combined with the powder, shaken until clear, and then drawn up and injected subcutaneously or intramuscularly in cases of emergency. And as you can imagine, during an hypoglycemic emergency, this can all be very difficult to do. So in 2019, a constituted ready-to-be-used form of glucagon became available and we have two formulations currently. We have the GVOC, which is a subcutaneous injector, and the Baxemi, which is an intranasal spray glucagon. GVOC is stable in liquid form, and the Baxemi is a 3 milligram nasal spray that has comparable efficacy to the injectable forms, as has been found in several clinical trials. When either form of glucagon is given, the blood glucose should be remeasured in 15 minutes and repeat glucagon administration should be considered. Another recommendation is that we should consider the use of long and short-acting insulin analogs in place of NPH and regular insulin for those at high risk for hypoglycemia. Another recommendation is for the continuous glucose monitors. Continuous glucose monitors were recommended for all patients with type 1 who take insulin and for those with type 2 diabetes who either use insulin or sulfonylurea who are at risk for hypoglycemia. Use of CGM augmented algorithm-driven insulin pumps is suggested over the use of multiple daily injections with finger stick testing in those with type 1 diabetes. Now, patients who use CGM and or pumps as an outpatient should continue using them during the inpatient admission, but it's used in conjunction rather than an alternative to point-of-care glucose testing, provided that CGMs are not yet FDA-approved to be used during the inpatient settings. So this recommendation is based on limited evidence. Now, in patients who are selected to be at very high risk for hypoglycemia, including those with hypoglycemia and awareness, history of severe hypoglycemia, older individuals or those on insulin with CKD or tapering steroids, 
initiation of CGM for these inpatients should also be considered. It's also recommended that patients who take insulin undergo a structured patient diabetes education program as opposed to unstructured advice. And this concludes today's episode on hypoglycemia in patients with diabetes. In the next episode, we will be discussing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease based on the newly published 2022 ACE Clinical Practice Guidelines. Thank you for listening.